That's right. The wait is over. Wine by Design with Len here on 1510 WMEX. Your friend Ben, proud to sit inside here with Len Prasuti. He is the man behind Wine by Design. And Len has got a great series for our listeners here on WMEX. First of all, Len, welcome to your own show. And it's been a long time coming, but finally the ship has landed the wine bar, she is open. How are you? And welcome aboard. Great, Ben. I can't tell you how happy I am to be here on the maiden voyage, so to speak. Um, one of the things I did want to mention right from the beginning, though, is I'm planning on this really being kind of a, a different type of wine show in that I think people hear about wine shows and it's like, oh, you're going to tell me what wine to drink and da, 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 that kind of stuff. And we will include that, obviously. You know, I'll be talking about the different wine regions, the different grapes, what the wines taste like and all that. But in addition to that, we're going to talk about a lot of different things like uh, tasting techniques. I actually did a seminar called wine tasting secrets of the pros. And it's amazing. There's certain things that you can do that make you a lot better taster. Things like what glass to use and why. Why does a different shape glass make the wine taste different? Uh, things like how to safely open a champagne cork. It's actually pretty dangerous. 90 pounds per square inch in that thing. And it can put your eye out. To quote, you know, your mother... Uh, you know, why you decant and all that, how the temperature and the differences in the temperature affects the way the wine tastes. You know, pretty much everything wine, nothing's off the table. We're going to entertain any questions at all any of the listeners have. But first of all, I think I need to introduce myself. I'm Len Prasuti, your host. I am a certified wine educator by the Society of Wine Educators and a former, excuse me, former corporate wine educator with the largest wine distributorship in all of New England and one of the largest in the United States. You know, I have a lot of different international certifications. I graduated the German Wine Academy. I got a Spanish wine educator degree, certified international Bordeaux educator. I thought I'd just mention a little bit about what goes into some of these, like this Bordeaux educator thing. I spent nine days in Bordeaux, 10, 12 hours a day minimum. Um, I'm taking classes taught by the people that are teaching the wineries in Bordeaux how to make wine. So I'm getting things directly from the source, the absolute latest visiting all these different chateaus, doing all this tasting. But one of the things that, quite frankly, makes it a little nerve-wracking is I had a three-hour written exam followed by a one-hour blind tasting where I had to fill out 17 different fields on each wine. And there was about a dozen of them. No pressure there. There's no way I'm coming back and telling... Uh, the owner of the company, I failed the test. But anyway, uh, they they were fun and I love learning and I, I'm privileged to have gone through all those. But the biggest one is the certified wine educator uh, kind of degree that I have. That took me three years to attain. And that's after I'd been in the business for about five or six years. And I thought I knew a lot. I'll tell you, 
I took books that I used as reference books and studied them cover to cover, memorizing. It was unbelievable. The exam included blind tasting. You had to taste for faults, identify what the fault was in the wine. It was just above the level of perception too. Very difficult. To give you an idea, the year I passed the exam, 98 people sat that exam, six passed. So that took a while. Anyway, uh, enough with the certifications. I really have a I, I have had a chance to experience things that most people only kind of dream of in the wine world. I've been to vineyards and wineries throughout the world, including South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, France, Italy, Germany, Spain, Chile, Argentina, throughout all the United States. Um, and I've learned a tremendous, tremendous amount about the culture and the wines and what goes into making a really fine wine. I've had fun imparting that knowledge that I've gained, uh, doing classes everywhere from beginner with people that know absolutely nothing, <laughs> maybe tasting wine for the first time, to collegiate and these master classes where we would include some of the finest examples of the wine made, champagnes costing thousands of dollars in these classes that I'm putting on. So that was a ton of fun, but now, I'm here at WMEX to be your private wine consultant. And even though I've had a chance to, you know, taste the creme de la creme, you know, the Moutons, the Chateau Margaux, Ikem, Romani Conti, you know, the current release of that's $25,000 a bottle now. At my house, you know, we do have a wine cellar. We pull out a nice wine uh, once a week or, or so, perhaps a little bit more often, but typically... We're drinking wines that are around $12 to maybe $15 a bottle because for us, it really has to do more with how the wine matches the food in that synergy that you get there when that happens. Uh, interestingly, that's one of the first reasons we got into wine and food matching was economic. You know, you spent $5 for a bottle that provided more pleasure with the food than a $50 bottle that was fighting the food. But a little bit of background on this whole thing of wine and food matching. You know, there were a lot of misconceptions there. And the wine industry had a lot to do with it. Uh, way, way back before wine became popular, everybody kind of knew what worked with what, and it, it wasn't a big deal. Then seemingly overnight, wine exploded and became so popular that everyone was was trying it and the thing of wine and food matching came up and as an industry we decided well we don't want to intimidate people oh my god um so we'll say that everything works with everything oh my god what a stupid thing to say um and it took us years to get over that because things would happen like someone would take you know, hey, I was told by the wine industry, drink the wine you like, the food you like, everything's going to be fine. So somebody walks into a restaurant like Illegal Seafood. Sandy Block used to do their list and uh, an amazing list of great red Bordeaux, even though mainly seafood there. So I say, yeah, let me try this Bordeaux that Sandy picked out. I love Bordeaux, you know, big tannic red Bordeaux. So the wine comes to the table. 
and you try it and it's oh my god this is fantastic so you spend 15 20 minutes with a wine and then this white fleshed piece of haddock in a lemon butter sauce comes you take one bite of that fish and get this god awful metallic taste in your mouth what's the first thing that occurs to you the fish is bad it's got to be i just spent 20 minutes with this wine, I know it's good. So people started to kind of wake up in the industry, especially the chefs at the restaurant saying, man, they're making my food look bad here. So even people that drank wine regularly didn't totally understand that the the food that you have with wine can dramatically change it. One of the quick little stories that comes to mind is I had a friend when I was at retail that I sold a, a case of this great Ovig Macron Village. Now, this is a, a, a really nice Chardonnay-based wine from the Burgundy region. And he flipped over the wine, absolutely loved it, bought a case of it, took it home. Came by a month or two later and said, you know that case of wine you sold me? Said, yeah. He says, um, well, it went bad. And I said, what? You know, that's fantastic wine. I mean, how could that be? So then I started to quiz him. I said, huh, um, well, what did you have to eat with it? Turns out he had this pineapple chicken dish that was so sweet that it rendered this dry wine with the wood tannins from its oak aging god-awfully bitter to the point where he thought the wine had gone bad. Now, he had already drunk half the case. So he already had six bottles. It was his seventh bottle. And he didn't realize that. So I mentioned it to him. And I, I said, well, what, what did you have the other six bottles with? He says, eh, my wife makes this great tarragon chicken dish. And typically, that's what we'd open with it, which turns out is probably one of the best things in the world for a Chardonnay-based white burgundy like that. But there were a lot of, of, of misconceptions and in the beginning, when I first got into this business, a lot of what we read was just actually wrong. We used to try and say, oh, my God, that doesn't work at all. So since there wasn't anything worth reading, written about wine and food matching, my wife, Andrea, who's a trained chef, went to culinary school, graduated top of her class and actually uh, cooked at the Four Seasons in Boston, and I went on this three-year kind of crusade to answer that question about what wine works with what and why. Um, no exaggeration to say, still, we are obsessed. And, and this is going on over 30 years with wine matching there. We went through this three-year period where we had 12 different bottles open in the house at all times, six whites, and six reds of as varying character as possible. So we'd have a, a light, fresh muscadet, um, maybe a, a crisp herbal Sauvignon Blanc. I have a big oak-aged uh, Chardonnay. And the same with the reds, you know, like a light Beaujolais, maybe a California Cab, a, a Pinot Noir of some sort. We kept switching them out. And we tasted... Um, Every dish that we made with all 12 wines spitting pretty much every night, because we cooked every night at home back then, 
drinking the wine with the dish that we thought went best with the dish. And in that three-year period, we experienced over 10,000 different wine and food combinations. So if I do say so myself, we got pretty good at it. Um, but we were always surprised. One of the things I should mention up front is we had a blast doing this. And this is something that should be fun. Some people take it so seriously that they stress out about it. And that should not be, hey, if you can't have fun with food and wine, what can you have fun with? But we did have all these surprises along the way. One of the biggest in terms of bucking conventional wisdom was matching wine with a ribeye steak. Now, no sauce, just enough salt and pepper to make it taste good um, and matching it with all these different wines. Now, what I did in my seminar, I, I did these seminars at the Boston Wine Expo for many, many years um, and to explain to people what we found out was we took a Cabernet Sauvignon, which everyone's cab steak. Are you kidding me? You know, money in the bank. Absolutely. That's going to work. And a big, rich, oaky Chardonnay. Now, the thing I need to mention up front is the fact that for us to consider it a, a great wine match, it had to be the case where both the wine and the food tasted better. So we're matching the ribeye, just very plainly seasoned with the Cabernet and the Chardonnay. Turns out the young tannic cab overwhelmed the flavor of the meat to the point where you couldn't taste it. I mean, it just faded into oblivion and it didn't make the meat taste good either. And in turn, you would think that the interaction with the meat would help the cab. It didn't. It made the cab rougher and brought out the tannins even more. Then we went to the Chardonnay, and lo and behold, this was a good Chardonnay, not a great one, you know, buttery, oak age, the wood tannins and all that. But when you match that with the steak, my God, it, it was transformed. The flavors just literally exploded. Tons more fruit came out of the wine. The length of the wine increased. It seemed so much more complex than it did on its own. It was amazing. And in turn, the steak tasted better with that uh, Chardonnay than it did certainly with the cab, but it tasted better than it did on its own. So we considered that to be a good match. Now, you know, you might say, well, that's your palate. Everyone's a different palate. I always pay a lot of attention to the way other people react to these things. That's how I learn too. I've used that every single time I put on a wine and food matching seminar at the Boston Wine Expo, which again, I did for years. 90 people sold out every year, usually the first seminar to sell out. I'm here to say when asking people to raise their hands, which match they like best, everyone, all 90 people liked the way the Chardonnay worked with the steak. 
than the cab. And they were shocked. And that's one of the things we had a, a ton of fun with, uh, especially in the beginning, is kind of coming up with these matches that are surprising and didn't kind of follow the conventional wisdom. But early on in the process, one of the things that really helped us immensely when it came to um, figuring out what's going on in terms of the interaction between the wine and food is to put it into a category. So it helped us to concentrate on that interaction specifically. And we came up with five different levels of a fine uh, of a wine and food match. Now, I'm going to give them to you. Uh, from level one to level five, from the worst to the best. Level one, both the wine and the food taste worse than they did on their own. That's that white flesh piece of fish with a big tannic Bordeaux. My God, that god-awful metallic taste is very difficult to get out of your mouth. One of the other bad matches that we found that not many people knew about was that if you had a big oak-aged Chardonnay with a dish with a ton of garlic in it, there was something in the interaction that made the wine taste bitter, and there was something in that interaction between the exposed wood tannins of the Chardonnay and the garlic that made the garlic taste so bitter that you'd think somebody burned it. It just tasted acrid. Um in many cases, I remember going to a a dinner at a, a very, very fine restaurant where the winery sponsored the dinner for a number of wine buyers. And it so happened that during the Chardonnay that they were trying to promote to us to buy, there was a dish with garlic and absolutely destroyed the wine. I felt so bad for the people. But that's two of them. The other one that happens a lot and this one happens very often at weddings when everyone should be having a great time. And it has to do with the wedding cake and the champagne. So traditionally, the champagne comes out first and everyone has a, a chance to taste it. And I can remember being at weddings where, my God, they pulled out a really great champagne. Usually pull out something not that expensive because there are a lot of people there and thinking, oh, my God, this is fantastic. Wasn't it so nice of them to go out of their way to provide such a great wine? Then the cake comes around. You take one bite of that wedding cake and go back to that champagne, and it's just destroyed. It tastes horrible. One of the things that is at play that I don't believe in really rules, but one of the, the rules that the French have is that the wine must always be sweeter than the dessert or other in in other words the wine must always be sweeter than the the uh the sweet food that you're serving with and that one does really hold true the champagne being very dry was turned bitter by that and it's uh one of those unfortunate situations where you know it it just can absolutely destroy a, an otherwise great experience. But to move on to some of the other levels, the next two levels are where one just kind of predominates to the exclusion of the other. So the wine is so intense that it overwhelms the food and the food fades into insignificance in the background. Level three 
where the food overwhelms the wine. You might as well be drinking water. You can't really even taste it at all. The level four match is one that many people would consider a good match. And we took to referring to it as ships passing in the night. And that's where both the wine and the food are seemingly unchanged. That's where you get the ships passing in the night thing. But there is this fifth level. And that's the one that we really aspired to. And that is where both the wine and the food taste dramatically or at least substantially better than it than they did on their own. And one of the things that we went about uh, trying to figure out is what elements in the food and wine matchup made that happen, made that that beautiful match happen. Now, from this point on, I'm going to be talking about certain wines that tend to go well with certain foods, but there is within each wine a, a lot of different flavors. Uh, so sometimes we talk about Sancerre, it's 100% Sauvignon Blanc from the Loire Valley, very crisp and herbal. And there's big variation in the different Sancerres, different quality levels in that. But there is a commonality there that allows you to use it. On the other hand, certain will work better in a combination than the others. Where that really came home to me was I had the pleasure of working with this really superstar young chef who was so good that he was invited to present at the James Beard House. Now, the James Beard House in New York City is kind of the world series of wine and food matching. It's a great honor to be invited there. And he asked me to do the matches uh, for him so that he could go there, you know, with all of his ducks in a row and, and matches that would really kind of sing. He had this signature beef short rib dish that was amazing. It had little touches of anise, garlic, um, uh, ginger. It, it was very complex, aromatic, uh, absolutely fantastic. We decided, uh, partly because, you know, James Beard, America, and, and it was American cuisine of his restaurant that we were going to use in Napa Cab, which did go quite well with his dish. We opened 16 different Napa Cabernets, all roughly within the same price range, all pretty much in the same vintage. But one of them, my God, when we hit it, it just popped. All of these flavors came out of it. And there was this synergy between that and the dish that was amazing. And that even though all the other wines worked, that one just worked so much better. It was, uh, it, it was incredible. But on to what we discovered in terms of the elements at play between the wine and the food that make a good match. It'll help you perhaps match the wines uh, to your food better. The first thing we came up with was high acid food needs high acid wine. Yeah, it's interesting. If you go to a wine and food matching book where they actually know what they're talking about, one of the classic matches that is typically first mentioned is Sancerre, that one I just talked about, 100% Sauvignon Blanc from the Loire Valley. Very cool region, typically no oak at all but very sharp in terms of a city in this kind of 
grassy herbal quality uh, to it as well. To drink it on its own is an acquired taste, to put it mildly. It is quite sharp, and most people wouldn't pick it as a cocktail wine. That typically, with the French, is matched with chèvre, which is a young, fresh goat cheese that is quite tart, very high in acidity as well. And when you put those two together, rather than you might what you might think would happen, you know, the first thought that occurred to me when I was doing it was, ah, oh, acidity with acidity, it's going to be too much acidity. The opposite happens. It's like acidity cancels acidity. Now, all of a sudden, that goat cheese that seemed really tart and almost abrasively so that wasn't so much fun became really smooth, rich, creamy, complex. The other flavors contained within that goat cheese had a chance to shine dramatically better than it was on its own. And the biggest change happened in the Sancerre, because when you took the acidity out of that, there was a ton of rich, ripe fruit there. And instead of a, being abrasively acidic, it was it was almost silky and velvety. Really, again, major transformation for the better with both the wine and the food. The other place where the high acid food needs high acid wine works is in matching wines with tomato sauce. I worked at a huge retail store and uh, I often, passing the time, read the back labels of the wine because they tell you, oh, this wine works with that and that. Anyway, Cabernet Sauvignon, I kept re reading again and again, great with tomato sauce. So we kept trying it at home, saying, yeah, it's on the label here. That's what they're recommending with it. It never worked for us. It really, they kind of butted heads. It wasn't a horrible taste, but eh, just something didn't seem right. So we go back to our simple Chianti, and wow, that was perfect with it. Turns out Cabernet Sauvignon, when fully ripened, very low in acidity. And it really butted heads with the high acidity of the tomato sauce. But Chianti, the classic match, made primarily, if not exclusively, from the Sangiovese grape, even when fully ripened, very high in acidity. And to the point where sometimes not particularly pleasant to drink on its own. But when you put them together, another transformation happens. All of a sudden, the tomato sauce, because the acidity has been taken out of the equation, seems much richer, com more complex, smoother, um, you know, as if you've cooked it longer, substantially better than it did before matching it with the Chianti. And this simple Chianti that could have been literally just one step up from battery acid on its own and unpleasant to drink, when you had it in combination with that tomato sauce, my God, became really velvety and this warm, earthy cherry fruit just seemed to come out of nowhere and just immensely improved the way the wine tasted. The, uh, the last wine uh, in Food Match that I'm going to talk about that has to do with high acid uh, wine and high acid food is matching wine with salads. Now, if you're going to match it with a very sharp 
red wine vinegar vinaigrette, it's going to be pretty hard to come up with a match. But you can do things to soften the vinaigrette, like maybe add a little bit of balsamic, use a little bit more oil in, in combination um, with the vinegar or lemon juice, which is a lot less acidic, certainly, than red wine vinegar. And you can come up with a lot of great matches there. Uh, what we did find ourselves going to again and again was Sauvignon Blanc-based wines, especially the ones in the style of Sancerre that had no oak. Uh, they they tended to work really well in that sad, uh, salad situation. But a story comes to mind that uh, I, I found fascinating. I was doing a wine dinner with a chef at an Italian restaurant north of Boston. Now, he'd been doing these wine dinners every month for almost three years, and he was getting really kind of bored doing them. And he said, let's do this dinner that's really different in that we're going to serve the wine and the wine's going to actively taste horrible on its own. But when you match it with the food, it's going to taste good. So I loved challenges like that. I went back to the warehouse, as I mentioned, this huge distributorship, found this Italian Sauvignon Blanc that kind of dropped through the cracks, got lost in the warehouse. It was about eight or nine years old. As those wines got older, they tended to totally lose their fruit. So this wine was nothing but acidity. It had no social redeeming value to it at all. But we matched it with the salad where he did a lot of red wine vinegar and a very little of the oil. Now, I told the people that, you know, that this is what the dinner was about and all that. And they're tasting it. And it's like, oh, my God, I can't believe you expect me to drink this wine. Then they tasted the salad and the sharpness of the dressing took all of the acidity away from this really old Italian Sauvignon Blanc that was over the hill and a ton of fresh, ripe fruit poured out of it. I mean, it was one of those things that just literally seemed like a magic trick. Um, and everyone was just, just astounded at it. But a little bit more about matching wine with salads. When you really start to get into this, you can pick out things in the wine that will match with the different elements of the salad. Uh, Another time when I ended up doing matches for someone going to James Beard, I was blessed to do that a, a couple of times. Most people never get a chance to do it once. It was when these salads with uh, goat cheese and spiced pecans and fresh strawberries um, were in vogue. And it was uh, it was a challenge to put it mildly matching all the different elements in there, especially the heat of the spicy pecan. At that time, there was a wine that had just come onto the market called Camus Conundrum. And right now they're using Viognier in it. But back then it was a blend of Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, and Muscat, Moscato, the, the same grape as Moscato. But it was one of the few slightly sweet wines that they put in new oak just for a short period of time. My God, that hit on all cylinders. The fruit, the slightly sweet fruit of the muscat 
tamed the spice of the spiced pecans. The slight toastiness of the oak echoed that nutty quality from the pecans. The Sauvignon Blanc aspect of it worked really well with the goat cheese and the and handled the fresh strawberries um, as well as the acidity of the strawberries and the sweetness of the strawberries with the muscat. It was just one of those really amazing matches where there were so many different things clicking on all cylinders that uh, it was really, really kind of fun to behold. The only other thing I did want to mention, and this goes to that fact that I mentioned before of even within the context of wines that are good matches, one will be better than the others. I was tasked um, in a previous lifetime on a radio show that I was doing to match a white wine with a pepperoni pizza. We always took these things very seriously. We opened 40 different <laughs> wines at my house over a few different sessions, trying to find the perfect match with it. And these were all wines that we knew were going to match pretty well. But again, we hit upon New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc and pepperoni pizza. It's one of those kind of magical matches. Uh, you, you almost can't make it up. And I've uh, told people about that and they've replicated it with the with the same results. They said, yeah, you know, I, I couldn't believe that. After the whole acidity thing, you can use the acidity of wine to substitute for that splash of lemon juice that you'd normally put on the food. One of the classic matches of all time is muscadet and oysters. And that's what happens with the muscadet. Uh, very, very crisp, very, very dry. Melon de Bourgogne is the, the grape that they make muscadet from. And when you put that with the oyster, uh, this really fun relationship <laughs> happens between them that is is something that you have to experience. A lot of people with raw bars will have a uh, a muscadet by the glass just so you can ex experience that. But when it came home to me, how how great that uh, that match was when I was doing a training session at a restaurant where uh, I was working with the restaurant staff and had them taste the muscadet with oysters. Someone came up to me afterwards and said, you know, I hate oysters, but I tried it with the muscadet and I really liked it. And that's one of the really kind of fun things there. You know, when um, when you get into this wine and food matching thing, you find yourself sometimes liking foods that you didn't think you liked and, you know, liking, liking wines that you didn't think you liked. It's just that sometimes the matches weren't exactly right. I love it. Len, you are a certain wealth of information, and we're so lucky to have you here on a Friday evening uh, here on WMEX. And let's again remind folks that this is going to be an ongoing series, and it's going to be a lot of fun learning about wine together. And Len, I know you and I talked about it. I don't know much about the wine world as it stands, but I've got my very first decanter and we're going to learn, right. and I'm going to learn with everybody. So Len's going to take me on as his personal project in educating me and you to the finer points of wine with the perfect design. 
Len, I think that's a great opening episode, and I really appreciate you taking the time to do this and using your experience to everyone's benefit. Thank you very much for doing it. The pleasure's truly mine, Ben. I, I love sharing this this stuff I've learned with people, and I, I really am happy that I'm having the opportunity to do it. And how can folks reach out to you if they need help with their wine selections? The best way would be v- via email. Um, that would be lenwmex at gmail.com or l-e-n-w-m-e-x at gmail.com. And, you know, I I kind of made light of I'm here to be your private wine consultant, but I do answer each and every one of those emails personally. So please email me. Wonderful. Well, folks, now you know, tell your friends, it's wine time on WMEX Friday at 6 p.m. following the Your Friend Ben Show, as well as at 2.30 with Uncle Tony on the Influential Italian Music Hour. Len, thank you so much. Cheers to you and have a wonderful weekend. You too, Ben. Cheers.